The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garen Piro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Now, we're off to West Africa today where we're catching up with a gold explorer and developer in Burkina Faso. The company is Sarama Resources, or Sarama Resources, I should say. It's based in Perth, but its focus is very much in Burkina. Sarama is listed on the Toronto Venture Exchange under the code SWA. We had a last sale, and this last sale was before a trading halt that lifts this Friday, of 28 cents a share for a market cap of about $28 million Canadian. The big news for us, though, is that Sarama is set to become dual-listed by IPOing on the ASX. The company has just filed a prospectus for the issue of CDIs on the ASX to raise between 6 to $8 million Aussie dollars. Euros is the lead manager at $0.21 cents a, a share. The fundraising will allow the company to accelerate exploration work at its 100% owned Sanaturo Gold Project in the southwest of Burkina. It already has a 600000 ounce indicated resource along with a 2.3 million ounce resource in the inferred category. We have Sarama's founder and MD Andrew Dinning with us today to bring us up to speed with the company and its IPO plan. Before calling on Andrew though, I'll just mention that while West Africa has continuing issues, there's also been good to ASX listed companies like Perseus and West African Resources. On the back of their successful gold mine developments, they have grown to become 2.4 2.4 billion and 1.33 billion companies, respectively. So, with that, I'm going to say, good day, Andrew. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, hi, Barry. Thanks for the introduction and thanks for having me on. Andrew, um, obviously, uh, you've got the presence there in Canada and uh, you are Perth based. But for those who don't know you in this market, it'd be great if we could get a bit of a rundown on your professional uh, career to date. Yeah, okay. Thanks, Barry. Um, yeah, my professional career has spanned, you know, a fairly wide area. I'm a mining engineer by I guess, initial training. Um, and like most people my vintage, I did my time with Western Mining. Uh, I worked in the gold business and ran a number of the big underground gold mines. Um, then I ventured offshore, did a business degree in the UK, and then from there I went and worked in Russia. I had four years out there. Uh, obviously quite topical at the moment. And um, from there uh, I went to the Congo and I took over from Klaus Eckhoff, a, a company called Moto Gold Mines, and um, I ran that company through until we were taken out by Rangold. So we found the Kabali Gold Deposit. That's a, um, it's a big mine now. It's owned by Barrick. It's doing about 800,000 ounces a year. So that was you know, quite successful. So after that, we had a bit of time off, and um, then we put Sarama together. Uh, Modo was listed on the TSX uh, when we were taken out. Um, so we ended up listing on the TSX, and that was kind of late 2011. And um, that's that's kind of, you know, how we ended up there. But we've always been Perth-based and very much Australian company at heart. Um, and, you know, listening on the ASX for me is almost like a coming home event. Lots of uh, experience in Africa, which is uh, pertinent to uh, uh, the story today. Um, tell us about Burkina Faso, or particularly the, the company's flagship project. Yeah, in, in Burkina Faso, we've got 
three projects we're involved with. So we've got two 100% owned ones, um, one called Kumandara, which is an early stage exploration play, which we think is very interesting ground. We have a joint venture with Endeavour Mining, um, which orders our Sanatura project. Um, strategically, that's quite important for us. That's a 700,000 ounce project. Um, Endeavour is a large company, the Canadian and London listed company, about six or seven billion market cap. So yes. it's good having, I guess, ready access to those guys. Um, and then Sanatura, though, the main project, that's under, basically underpins the value of the company. It's just shy of three million ounces. It's big land holding, so it's over 1,400 square kilometres. It's all prospective. It's all in, in greenstones. It's in a belt called the Hyundai um, Greenstone Belt, which is probably the most prolific gold belt in Burkina Faso, and I'd say probably one of the most prolific in West Africa. Um, we control about 70 kilometres length of that belt. So to put that in perspective, it'd be like controlling, I don't know, from Kalgoorlie past Kembalda and maybe down towards Widjumulta. So it's a big area. Um, and two deposits on there, uh, one larger deposit, Tankoro, two and a half million ounces, which you know, we see a fair bit of exploration runway on that. And a second deposit called Bondi, um, which is a high-grade, smaller deposit but still close to half million ounces and we think we can grow that as well it is uh, unusual aussies uh, normally head off to toronto when they have uh, west african interest uh, you're kind of reversing that trend what uh, what's the rationale for that uh i think like i said i think it's being on the tsx was more a legacy issue from the previous company i was involved with um so a lot of the seed came out of canada we, we actually you know logistically um, yeah, it's obviously easier to service the Australian market, particularly the last couple of years have been extremely difficult being TSX listed and, and stuck here. Um, we actually think the Australian market or investors in the Australian market have a, I guess, a better understanding of, um, you know, African risk. It's a well-trodden path, as you mentioned earlier on, um, for Australian juniors that have enjoyed a lot of success there. Um, you, you know, it's not it's not just West African and Perseus, which you mentioned, but, you know, Predictive is enjoying a lot of success now. You have Chesa, Tieto, it's probably the next mine in the chute in that part of the world. Um, Cardinal, you know, so there's a number of Australian companies. So it's a, it's a very well-trodden area for Australians. So I think, you know, from our point of view, the jurisdiction's best understanding where we operate is probably, you know, UK, Europe and Australia. Um, Canada over recent years, I think, has become a bit more introspective and they, they tend to, I guess, focus in, in the time zones where they work, so, you know, North, Central and South America. So I think it's maybe 10 years ago, uh, you know, Canada was a great market for this kind of story, but I, I think, you know, I and I guess the board think it's, a, you know, better suited to the Australian market and that's aside from all the practical things. And I, I, I think the other, probably the other thing as well that, uh, you know, people don't talk about a lot, but if you want good African mining and execution skills, whether it's from, you know, plant construction or, or mining operations, probably the best place in the world to go is Perth. Um, you know, you have your contractors like Parenti, you have construction companies like, like a podium building most of the plants in that part of the world. So there's a lot of, you know, compelling reasons for for us to do business here, it's not just because we're based here. Just on Canada, a lot of that spec money obviously went off uh, up in smoke in the cannabis and uh, cryptocurrency uh, 
infatuation they seem to have there for a long time at the expense of the junior exploration. And, but I'm just wondering, your market cap currently, and this is before we talk about the upside uh, with your Burkina Faso projects, seems uh, very low vis-a-vis what a three million ounce uh, ex- exploration slash developer in Australia would be valued at. So is there any particular reason for that? And I, I guess is that an explanation for why you're keen to get on the ASX? Yeah, look, I, th- I think there's a number of reasons why we're at value is sitting where it's at. Um, that I mean, one, the TSX is kind of not in love with Africa as a jurisdiction. Um, I guess secondly, we've not been able to do a lot in the last two years, um, which has been extremely unhelpful. Yeah, as a junior, news flow is everything. Um, we were actually slated to list on the ASX late. 2020, um, and we had to hit the pause on that because we had some permitting delays. So some people may be familiar that we kind of had a, a bit of a false start. So that took most of last year to sort out. So if, from our point of view, you know, we've had very little news flow into the North American market, and um, we haven't, I, I guess, given the market a lot of reasons to buy in the last couple of years. So I think the flip side of that, though, is for people, you know, investing now in the company in Australia. Um, you know, we're kind of hoping to see a, a substantial re-rate and bring us more in line with the valuations seen by our African peers. Um, it's, it's actually interesting lining up the comps between the different companies in our peer group in West Africa and, yeah, the Canadian listed ones all cluster, you know, on the kind of lower side of the, the comps and the, the Aussies are on the kind of higher side. So it's it's quite interesting when you do that exercise as well. What's the, uh, the immediate use of funds? We've got a lot of work to do. Um, there was a lot of pent-up exploration. We've, we've had plenty of time to think about what has to be done. Um, we've got a 50,000-metre drill program lined up. Basically, as soon as we receive funds, we'll start drilling. So... Our guys are mobilised back in country and we're just getting the camp um, set up at the moment. So we're mid-exploration season now, so work's seasonal. It's typically November through June and you might get a bit either side depending when the rains kind of come and go. Um, but that's kind of, we kind of couch that drilling into three types. So there is, um, I guess, what we call like for want of a better term, low-hanging fruit or low-hanging ounces. So we have a number of ounces that sit with inside resource pit shells that are unclassified. So there's probably two or 300,000 ounces like that that just needs a bit more drilling to get the data density to include. So that'll be one type of drilling. The next sort's extensional drilling, which is kind of fairly high-confidence stuff in areas that, you know, we know there's mineralisation. Um, so if you look at Tankoro, which is the biggest deposit, that's a big mineralising system. It's about 30 kilometres long. So there's still a lot of work to be done in that. Um, and then there's a regional target. So as I mentioned earlier, we've got a big land position there, about 1,400 square kilometres in that particular project. And there's still a lot of runway on that as well. So really the focus over the next 12 months is sticking holes in the ground as quickly as we can and seeing how big we can get the project before we put a pin in it. I was just going to say, what at what stage do you, do you see uh, resource upgrades coming through and perhaps development planning? Because we, we're mid-season now, we won't get the drilling finished this season. So we'll have to finish that next season. So we, we would anticipate a resource update middle of next year. Um, and with that, um, you know, depending where the number lands, at, at primary, probably 75% of the drilling we're doing now is going to be shallow oxide-focused drilling. So we've got 
roughly a third of the resource now is oxide. We'd like to get to a point where we kind of have seven or eight years oxide feed to start the project on to do it, you know, 120 to 140,000 ounces a year average. Um, so we'd like to get to that point by the end of this drill program. So we're just shy of a million ounces of oxides now, so obviously we want to push through that. So a lot of the drilling shallow, so it'll be relatively inexpensive and, and fairly quick. But when we've got to the end of that process, we, we should have hit most of the obvious regional targets. Um, we've got some advanced exploration targets. We've done scout drilling in that are, are pretty reasonable that we need to follow up. So we should have a pretty good idea at that point what the next steps need to be. And it might be a bit more drilling, but ideally we'd like to frame up some kind of scoping study you know, not long after that to, to get into the market, um, you know, to show what the development picture will look like and the economics, which, you know, based on what we've got now and all the internal work we've done, it looks looks very, very good. And it's a, a worthy target. I think 130,000 ounces uh, in this market over eight, eight years would probably buy you a market cap of a billion dollars. So go for it. Hmm? Yeah, exactly. It certainly should buy us bigger than 20 million. <laughs> That's right. Now, we can't uh, West Africa can't uh, leave you without talking about the uh, security and the geopolitical issues in that part of the world. Um, now there was a coup in January, a military coup, and they've come out recently and said they'll be holding power for uh, three years before uh, returning to uh, democratic elections. It's a curious one because, funnily enough, the BBC and others kind of suggest it was a good thing. Um, the government was losing control of the you know, attacks by al-Qaeda and ISIS and others. And it seems the, ge- the general population are getting a bit sick and tired of the security risks and have welcomed in the, uh, the military uh, junta. But um, what's your read on the situation there? Yeah, look, I think our, our read is that, you know, it wasn't a bad thing. So we're not, you know, not necessarily, you know, disagree with BBC's views. Um I guess we, you know, that that changing, I mean, it's effectively a changing government was, um, you know, it was was supported, you know, popularly across the country. Um, And I think, as you rightly say, the population was getting a bit fed up with politicians being politicians um, and not doing what they said that, you know, needed to be done. So I think the important thing for us and for investors is that, you know, none of the mining operations missed a beat through that whole period. Um, you know, there's a couple of days where the borders were closed, but they've already put in new ministers that are civilian. Um, you know, there's there's only a few of the junta. I think their motivation, you know, is is you know correct, and that's sorting out the security in the north of the country. Um, so I, I think we don't view it as a necessarily as a negative thing. As bad optics at the time, we we were just about to launch the IPO, so we had to put that off for a couple of weeks to let the dust settle. Um, but it's, yeah, I, I think for us, um, you know, particularly given it had popular support and no one's missed a beat, Orzone's in the middle of a $190 million mine build. They, they didn't lose any time. So supply chains are operating, mines are operating, and, and if the focus of the, you know, new guys in power is to, you know, try to reign in the north and the eastern parts of the country where there's problems, then I, I think it's, you know, should you for a better result in the longer term. Now, you mentioned there that you're away from the, the north, well away from the north where some of the issues were, but I was just wondering, uh, down where you are, um, what, what's it like for infrastructure? And uh... I mean, we're in the southwest of the country, so the closest border to us is Ghana, followed by Ivory Coast. Um, 
So I guess from a, you know, obviously geological point of view, it's it's preferential. Geopolitical point of view, it's preferential. From an infrastructure point of view, it's probably better as well. So, you know, the rainfall in the area is probably 800 mils, so, and it's, you know, monsoonal type stuff. So we, um, uh, you know, water's not an issue. The closest paved road's about 30 k's away from the centre of gravity, I guess. Um, and that's the main road from Wagadugu to Bobo, which is, you know, the first and second biggest cities in Burkina. So, you know, it's got good road access, um, plenty of water. Probably the, you know, the only thing is power, which is common across Africa. Um, we are seeing some, you know, innovative stuff being done, particularly in Burkina, with respect to power generation, you know, with, uh, you know, hybrid setups, but based on gas. So um, I've seen a few projects come out, and, you know, quite low cost per kilowatt hour. So it's, you know, from an infrastructure point of view, it's, it's quite well serviced by... Power situation is interesting. Um, I was looking at how um, gold companies across the world obviously are trying to reduce their um, carbon footprints like all good industries do. And um, they obviously turn to solar, wind, batteries, you, know, you name it. And I, th- I had assumed that uh, most of that sort of work would be being done in Australia and uh, North America. But it turned out the list was, was long, but it was full of um, projects in Africa, you know, solar, wind, Etc. So it's not where I thought it would be uh, driven, but uh, I guess that is part of the strategy to come over logistical issues around diesel supplies. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it's driven by need, and diesel-fired power is not cheap. Even more so now. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the you know the big power generating systems that you're seeing in that part of the world are heavy fuel, so HFO. I was actually speaking to the CEO of Warzone about their setup. He wouldn't share their cost of power, but it's obviously very competitive and basically they're using gas and a, and a hybrid and it's over the fence you're using somebody else's capital so I, I you know I, I think it's it's actually pretty exciting for the industry in Africa with the, the development of the different energy solutions that you have so it's not just good for I guess the you know, environment and emissions and whatever but it makes economic sense and I think everything at the end of the day should be economically driven for it to be sustainable we, we when we do we kind of Study work, we're obviously using diesel-fired generation for costing. Um, you know, it adds quite a bit to processing. If we've got a hybrid setup where that's materially lower than a diesel-fired solution, then that's fantastic for yeah. us. Decision made. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Okay. All right, so uh, where are we at with the IPO? How's it been going? Uh, the IPO is going very well. Um, obviously, a lot of work preparing up to that. Um, it's obviously got the added complication of, you know, being listed in Canada. So having free trading stock in Canada made life a little bit difficult. But fortunately, the TSX granted us a two-week a two-week trading hold, encompassing the period from when we filed the initial prospectus with ASIC um, through until the end of this week. So that's given us a bit of a uh, bit of leeway, but it, it's gone well. We launched the um, or opened the book yesterday. And um, that's books pretty much covered now, and uh, we're just working on allocations, and it was oversubscribed. So we're pretty happy, you know, with, with that progress, given that we did it in under a day. Um, you know, Euros have, have done a, a good job for us. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of look forward to getting that done and, and getting on with drilling in West Africa. So all goes well. You would likely list when April sometime. Yeah, at the moment the schedule has us. Um, starting trading on April 17th. 
Um, it might be a bit earlier than that because that assumed a two-week um, period for the prospectus being open. So I, I think, you know, given the demand that we've had and the fact that we're already oversubscribed, um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we close early and maybe that date comes forward a few days. After all this time, you're finally there. Getting Thank there. Very much. I, I look forward. We're not there until the money's in the bank. But, True. Um, yeah, but I'm very much looking forward to that and having a solid balance sheet to work with and getting on with it because it's been a frustrating couple of years for us. And, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, we, we've got so many different targets to drill. Our challenge at the moment is trying to prioritise, you know, what we need to do where from a you know technical and a corporate point of view. So that's we're working through that now. So, you know, second half of last year was, pro, was target, you know, definition and... Now I guess it's target prioritisation and which ones we drill first. So there we go, folks. A a lightly capitalised West African gold explorer uh, slash developer. Uh, got the funds now to get uh, cracking with some drilling to work towards that development uh, strategy. And uh, as uh, I've mentioned earlier, uh, when you look at things like Persis and uh, West Africa and some of those ones Andrew mentioned, uh, the prize is. Uh, well worth pursuing. So with that, I'm going to say thanks for your time today, Andrew. Good luck with it all and we'll watch with interest. Yeah, thanks, Barry. Thanks for your time. And um, yeah, thanks to listeners for tuning in. Cheers.